In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Last time, uh, we studied chapters uh, 19, 18, 19, and 20, I believe. Um, uh, we, we talked about uh, two main things. The first was uh, the attack of the Assyrians um, under King Sennacherib uh, against uh, the Israelites, against the kingdom of Judah, where they came up against the king, uh, King Hezekiah. Uh, and how God delivered the people, um, and they and and that the the king was killed uh, by his sons, and the army was killed. One hundred eighty-five thousand of the army was killed, uh, and so God saved the kingdom of Judah. Um, also, we spoke about the sickness of Hezekiah, where he had an illness that was uh, fatal, terminal, um, and he asked God to extend his life, and God granted him that he would extend his life by uh, fifteen years. Um, and as we also mentioned by now, um, the northern kingdom of Israel, as you can see here, the, the lineage of the kings had ended because Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and taken them captive. And so we're focusing now only on uh, the, the southern kingdom, which is the kingdom of Judah. And you see down here Hezekiah uh, as, um, as the king that we talked about last time. Um, this year also we will speak about Manasseh. Uh, and Ammon and Josiah, which are the next three kings that are going to come after Hezekiah. Also, as a reminder, Hezekiah was um, considered to be, at the time, the most righteous king um, that had lived since King David. Um, he had ended idol worship in Israel. He destroyed the high places, which were places that were originally set up for, for worshiping the idols. Um, and so he was seen as being a very righteous king, and this is why God um, helped him to um, repel the attack of the Assyrians, okay? Um, but unfortunately, his son, Manasseh, who ruled for 55 years, he's actually the longest ruling king, uh, was one of the most wicked kings. And it was actually because of him that God uh, decided that he was going to allow the southern kingdom also to be uh, to go into exile and to be captive. Um, but we'll, we'll speak more about that in detail. Okay, so chapter 21. Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephziba. Okay, so the name Manasseh um, means to forget. Um, also in Arabic, um, is it's the word means the same, um, like to, to, to forget. Um, and he was born to Hezekiah, his father, when Hezekiah was 42 years old, which is three years after he was healed of his sickness. Um, miraculously and so uh, he probably named his son uh, Manasseh because God uh, made him to forget his illness and his fear of dying childless um, why he would name his son uh, this so three years after he has he was cured he had his son Manasseh and now he has become king uh, he, he says he, he became king when he was 12 years old so it was, it was a common theme that we see um, many of the kings become king when they are very young and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that it's easy to continue kind of the lineage uh, of your father and what has been set up from before. So if you had the kingdom already set up um, for idol worship, uh, when a new king comes to power, the easiest thing for the king to do is to maintain the status quo. Because people are already used to the, way the things the, the, the way that they are, and there's no reason for them to change. Um, and so if he wanted to just, you know, coast, he just keeps things the way they are. And so if the father was evil, and he set things up in an evil way in Israel, and the son could be evil as well, and just continue the legacy of his father. Here we see actually the opposite. Hezekiah did, you know, through great effort, and through many years of effort, dispelled all of the evil people and the, the, the evil practices in Israel to restore the, 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 the worship and the faith in God in Israel again. Unfortunately, his son, though his father was righteous, his, his son undid everything that his father had done. Okay, So again, Manasseh is considered to be the most evil king that ruled in Israel. And also because his reign was longer than any other king, he had a long, long time to cause a lot of damage. Okay, um, and it was because of him specifically, as I mentioned, that God um, said that He would allow the southern kingdom to be captive 
by uh, Babylon. Um, we do know that Manasseh did repent, and there is actually an entire book. Uh, well, it's 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 not a b- it's a single chapter, but it's called the Prayer of Manasseh. If you look it up in Coptic Reader, it's the very last book in the Old Testament, which is the prayer that Manasseh prayed uh, for. Uh, you know, asking God to forgive him his sins. So we know that Manasseh did repent uh, at the end of his life, but it took him a very long time and he did a lot of damage um, before he got to that point. But if we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, um, it it gives us an insight into how God uh, reacted to the uh, sins of Manasseh. It says, um, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So um, Manasseh himself was taken to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So toward toward the latter part of his life, um, God allowed Manasseh himself as the king to be taken to Babylon as a prisoner. Um, he repented, and then he re- was allowed to return again to his kingdom. And as I said, his prayer is recorded um, in the Deuterocanonical book, The Prayer of Manasseh, um, which in, in, in the Septuagint version of the scripture oftentimes is included at the end of the, the book of Chronicles, uh, or I guess... Um, yeah, so the names in the substitution are a little different. Um, so we can ask the question, if Hezekiah was such a godly king, why do you think that Manasseh came out the way that he did? Like you have the most righteous king giving birth to the most evil king. This is a question. So I would say that like what you're saying is really two different possibilities. One possibility is the fact that okay, each p- each person's different. Each person is born differently. They have their own mind, they have their own will, they can choose for themselves what they want to do, clearly. Um the second thing which you're mentioning is the 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 um adversity that um a certain even a whole generation of people might face. Um causes them to react in a certain way and maybe to grow and become more mature and become more hardworking and become more, um, you know, responsible and to to value things that are important rather than valuing frivolous things. Whereas maybe a generation that grew up in an environment where um, they just felt entitled and they felt like they've given everything and spoiled to where they, they don't see, th- they don't value the important things, right? So I would say that's two different reasons. One reason is each person has their own personality, their own character. They choose, um, you know, and 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 you could have like like even in the example of the prodigal son. Obviously, the father representing God in the parable, um, he was a righteous man, right? Very righteous man. But his son uh, was very sinful, right? And he 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 took uh, what was his father's and he went and he squandered it. And um, so so in that sense, it was not. Uh, you know, it was it wasn't it wasn't that it was the father's fault that the son reacted that way. It wasn't his fault. Okay, so that was that. But as I mentioned, it also could be um, what we are what we experience in the world. Like older generations, they experience maybe a lot more hardship uh, in the way that they had to endure in the world, and that b- built character, which maybe younger generations don't have as much. Uh, more recent generations. Okay, um, what else? Good. So, very good. Like, even though Hezekiah might have been a very righteous king, but righteousness is not necessarily learned, 
you know, like just through osmosis, right? It's it's not just passed along automatically. It's not just being in the presence of a righteous person is necessarily going to make you righteous. And one of the difficult things that parents have to do is learn how to actually teach their children righteousness. Um, it's it's good to be a good example for sure, and that's one of the most important things. But how do I how do I take that and I make my children to see that this is an important thing and how do I teach it? How do I model it? How do I, being present with my children, spending time with my children, doing all these things, showing love to my children, like these are all part of things of like raising children. Raising children is not just feeding them, right? Or giving them a place to live. Uh, raising children is not just paying money to support them. It's much, much more than that. And so we see the same problem actually in the life of King David. King David was, again, the, 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 the gold bear, bear standard of um, righteousness when it came to the kings. And God compared every king to King David. Um, and yet King David also had a son, Absalom, who was wicked. And he actually tried to usurp the kingdom um, and, 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 and have a coup against his father and take the kingdom from him. Um, so, so King David, and maybe Hezekiah here as well, very focused on the kingdom, right? Kings were busy, right? Like they had a lot going on. Um, maybe didn't spend as much time as they needed to in order for their children to be raised um, in the right way. So, so these are all different possibilities, right? It's not like we know the answer. Um, it's not like it's not like it's clear here what the reason is. Um, but these are all possibilities. That why is it that you could have a very righteous man have a child who is very different from him, very very different. For he built the high places, so this is now what Manasseh is doing. He built the high places which his guy, his father, had destroyed. He raised up the altars of Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So everything that his father had torn down and ended all of the idol worship, he is now resurrecting it again. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. So he, he went to the house of Lord, the temple that Solomon had built, which right now had been pillaged and plundered and twisted and defiled many, many times over, over the years. Right? He went and he put pagan altars in the temple. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his sons pass through the fire. Okay, this means past sons passing through fire. One of the uh, one of the pagan uh, religious rituals was child sacrifice, and it was something actually that had been adopted as well by the Israelites in during the times of you know in past times before Hezekiah um, that Hezekiah had put an end to. So here he's even returning this practice again. Practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. How, how d he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved Im image of Asherah, who is one of the gods that he, uh, that he made, in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. Another reason we could say that um, Manasseh fell into all of this is complacency. Because for during the 29 years of the reign of Hezekiah, God had restored the kingdom to maybe its peak. You know, its peak since David, which was many, many, many generations ago. So everything was great at that time. Right, God had brought peace. God had helped them to defeat their enemies. Um, everything was in order. Everything was working well. Right, and after a while, if everything is working well, we begin to attribute that to ourselves, and we begin to feel complacent. And I don't have to do. I don't have to work. I don't have to. I'll just do whatever my heart's desire. The assumption, understanding that things are going to continue to go well. Things are going to continue to be great. And so he he he, he didn't he 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 didn't consider that the one who was making it to be so was God, not the king, but God. Um, and God had promised that as long as you worship me, right, as long as I am, you know, your God, then um, it will be well with you. But when you turn from me, right, then, uh, then I also will turn away from you. And then that's when all the bad things happen. 
right? So, so here Manasseh is coming with this understanding that um, I inherited a, a kingdom that's powerful and, and great, and now I'll just do whatever I want with it and it will maintain its power. But he was wrong. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Like it, it reached the point where the Israelites were actually more evil than the other nations. Right, so when when uh, God had called uh, Moses and Joshua to enter into the promised land, he told them, go and wipe out from the face of the earth all of the nations that were evil that were in that land and take the land, right? And now it's saying that now the Israel themselves have become more evil than those nations whom God had asked them to destroy. If you can imagine the, the magnitude of the sin, that now these that Israel had now fell into. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and all and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Okay? And as I said, Manasseh became the reason for the Babylonian captivity. You know, of course, the people had been, you know, sinning for a very, very long time. But Manasseh was like, like, there's no, there's no more patience left. Like this became um, unbearable to God. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. This measuring line. So before, you know, like when people are building, they want to establish a line that is parallel to the ground, right? And so nowadays people use like the spirit level, uh, you know, the little level thing with the bubble in it and where you tilt it left and right and the bubble moves, right? Or in construction, they will use a line, okay? Um, here they had like a, like, a, like a line with a weight at the bottom, the weight that's called the plummet, it had like a little tip at the end. Um, and they would use, they would suspend this weight from the line to be able to see what is what is the direction of directly down, right, down to the ground. Um, and so he's saying the measuring line of Samaria, what is Samaria? What's the significance of Samaria? The capital of the northern kingdom. And what happened to the northern kingdom? It was destroyed. It's already destroyed. So he's saying what happened, and Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom. So he's saying what happened to the northern kingdom Okay, is now going to happen to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And, and he says, what, as one wipes a dish, you can imagine like how easy it is for God. He sees, okay, like there's a whole country, he says, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Okay. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Now, this is not something that God says lightly. Because think about everything that's happened up until this point. From the time that God called Abraham, okay, and he made a covenant with him, and he said that you will be the, the, the father of many nations and your children will be like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, and, and, and you will be a mighty nation, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Okay? From that time, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, uh, all uh, Joshua, all of the judges, er everyone up until the point, and all the kings, and, and that now you have this nation that had been established by God, and they were the children of God who had to receive the inheritance. They are receiving the inheritance of God. They are the remnant, the people who have remained from after the exile of the north. So as we said, there were 10 tribes in the north out of the 12. 10 tribes gone. Okay. And, and, and what remains is a small fraction of the people who, who began, okay? So now God is saying, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance, meaning all of the people that I had established, that I had called to be my people from hundreds of years ago and, and made all this plan of salvation for them all the way up until now, I will forsake them. Like... Like, it's, it's, it's really sad to hear, like, God is saying this. He's going to forsake them, right, and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder, 
right? Because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the days their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day, from the moment that they left Egypt, they began to sin against God. Okay, they began to rebel against him. So God is saying is, even though I called them as my children and I called them to righteousness, but they have rejected me again and again and again and again, and I can no longer call them my children. I will forsake them and I will allow them to be um, to leave this place. I will allow, allow them to be carried captive. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah, then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Ammon was, so that was 55 years of reign, okay, of Manasseh. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Heros of Jotbah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, so he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. So his reign was shorter, okay? He reigned for two years, but he continued the same sinful practices as his father Manasseh. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. So Josiah, the son of Ammon, who was the grandson of Manasseh, has now become king. And Josiah, there is some hope. Okay, Josiah actually turns out to be a good king. Um, but by the time Josiah becomes king, there had been 77 straight years of evil kings between Manasseh and Ammon. So there was like a whole generation of people who grew up in Israel that had no knowledge at all of the law of God, what he asked them to do, maybe even the history of Israel that had not been taught the people. All they knew was idol worshiping, right? Uh, by this time, it had said that Israel had become a nation that was more evil than the surrounding nations, more evil than the pagans, right? So there was nothing even to differentiate uh, Israel from anyone else, which when we think about it in terms of the modern day, and, and the church, sadly, sometimes we look at the conduct of the Christians and we can make no distinction between the Christians and the rest of the world, right, in terms of their conduct. Like, they will come to the church on Sunday, but beyond that, everything else is exactly the same, right? The way they live is the same, the way they talk the same, the way they think is the same. They have, there's nothing, no differentiating factor at all. The only thing that differentiated these people here is because they lived in Israel, but apart from that, they were just as bad as everybody else, right? Um, and so the, 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 the and, and, and part of this, like we see it in the New Testament where the Pharisees who were corrupt, um, when, when, when Jesus would confront them um, and say that God is going to take the kingdom away from them, that they will have no place anymore because of their corruption and because they are rejecting him, he says, no, we are, the Pharisees say, well, we are children of Abraham, as though being the children of Abraham is the distinguishing factor that means that they are automatically accepted by God simply because of their lineage, right? Simply because they can label themselves, you know, through their lineage as being the children of Abraham, that means God accepts us, right? Just as a person now might say, it's like, well, because I'm a Christian, God accepts me because I'm a Christian. God accepts me because I go to church, right? Well, what about the rest of my life? Like, what does it look like? Um... So Josiah now is king, 77 years uh, of evil being done in Israel. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. 
and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. So the temple of God had been abandoned, had been neglected. Josiah is working to restore or renovate um, the, the temple. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So they trusted the workers. We don't have to oversee and see how they're spending the money. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shephan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shephan and he read it. So this book of the law is, is likely the Torah, like the first five books of the Old Testament, which were, where God had described the law. He told them, this is what I expect you to do. And he told them about the feasts and the fasts and all the things that he wanted the Israelites to practice. And the, the very thing that now had been neglected for 77 years, that nobody even knew what it was, right? Nobody even knew that this book existed. They're saying, we went into the temple and we happened to find this book while we were doing the renovations. So he took the book and he gave it to be read. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the high priest, or the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Why did he tear his clothes? Yeah, he's mourning because he realized, like it says now, that he had been the king for 18 years. And he realized that as much as he was trying to restore the temple, that none of the people, himself included, were following the law all along because none of them even knew what it was. Nobody taught it to them. 77 years prior to this, right, where everyone was worshiping idols. Nobody cared about the word of God. Okay, so when they found the book, now Josiah, because his heart was wanting to, 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 to follow God, he was mourning that, like, we have not been doing nothing of what God has called us to do. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So he realized now that everything that had happened to them up until now, all of the history that they knew um, in the previous kings, all of the calamities that have come upon them, he says, what? Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Right, like, uh, like, like historically, as a people, we have not followed the word of God, and all of the calamities and all the destruction and everything that's come upon us has come because of that. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. So there was a prophetess. And they knew she was a prophetess. They went to inquire of the Lord with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. So God is, is answering. He's saying, because the people have not followed me all these years, uh, it's been now 100 years, uh, more than 100 years, right, of, of the people not following God's word, he's going to destroy them. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So now he has a specific message for Josiah the king. Concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. So he's saying to Josiah, because you cared so much about the truth, because you mourned that you were not following, then this is what I have to say to you. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. 
and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which shall bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So what did he tell Josiah? He's going to die before, before the punishment happens. So he's not going to have to see it with his own eyes. Okay. So God is not relenting from the punishment. God has already decided the punishment. And the punishment is going to be the exile to Babylon. Okay. We know that the exile to Babylon, though, is, is not going to last forever. It's going to last for 70 years. And then the people who like to return were allowed to return again. Okay. But um, Josiah is not going to, is going to have died before this exile happens, and he will be spared it. Okay. Any questions so far? Okay, chapter 23. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hear hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. So the king did not just apply what he read. The king could have said, well, let's read what the book says and then we will apply it and we will make everything like the God has said. But he said, no, I want all the people to hear, right? Because I want the people to understand why we are doing what we're doing and to feel convicted themselves, to hear the word of God themselves, and to all have one purpose and one mind, okay? To know what they were doing. So he read the word of God to them. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. So everybody who heard the word of God said that they wanted to follow this and they made a covenant as well. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Okay, so everything that now they understood was contrary to the word of God, um, they took it out. Everything that had been made for Baal, for Asherah, for all of the other gods, everything, they, they destroyed it and they burnt it. Okay, so he cleansed the temple. Uh, th when it says the priests of the second order, it means like the priests that are the rank immediately under the high priest. Okay, they were the, they were the ones, um, including the high priest, who, who, who took out these things to burn them. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to, to burn incense on the high places in all the cities of Judah. Now keep in mind, how long now has uh, it says that Josiah had been king for 18 years and he was a righteous king and he wanted to, from the beginning, he was renovating the temple. But what is it that he did not know? He didn't e know the law. Like he didn't even realize that all this other stuff that had been happening, all this idol worship that had been happening was actually wrong. Right. This is why it is at this point in time that this is all happening. Right. Because after he read the law, now he understood what had to be done. And so, you know, what makes him a righteous king is not because he had all the answers, but because once he knew the truth, he acted on the truth. A lot of times we read the truth and we know the truth, but we don't act on the truth. And we just try to compromise. We try to accommodate. You know, if I have a lifestyle that I cherish, a lifestyle that I that I like or a sin that I like that I do not want to stop. I try to accommodate that life or that sin into my my faith, right? Like instead of saying, well, God said that what I'm doing is wrong, so I need to stop and repent and confess and change my life. Instead, I say, well, um, maybe the w God is merciful. Or, or maybe I can look at it in a different way. Or maybe I just don't consider that part that God had said to me. Right? So it's easy for us to make compromises with the word of God by picking and choosing the things that we like to follow and the things that we don't. Or to make justification for, for the things that we don't follow. Or we say, well, in, the, in our modern time, this is not how it's done. Right? In our modern time. You know, an example of this, for instance, is it's become very, very common now for people, even among Christians, to live together before marriage. This is something that has become almost expected. The concept of, of keeping your virginity until marriage is something that is no longer mainstream. It's no longer mainstream, even in the church. 
right? I'm not talking about the Orthodox Church necessarily. I'm just speaking generally among the Christian Church, right? So, so that's uh, something I would use as an example to say that people want to live a certain way, even though it's very, very clear in the Bible that that should not be done, right? But we make accommodations. We say, well, God will understand, right? We are, God will understand. So here you see an example where in order for Josiah to implement what he read, not only did he have to make changes to his own like personal life, he made changes to the entire nation. They said, in order to, for me to accommodate, in order for me to, to practice, what is it that I've just read? What is it that is God is saying? I have to make all of these changes to the entire nation, and he was willing to do so. Right? So it was very, um, very powerful. And, and this, again, why God saw his, his genuineness, right? And he said his tenderness, his tender heart, that he really wanted to follow God's command, and he spared him all of the suffering that was to come. Okay, he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places and the city of Judah and the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. The, the perverted persons is also translated in other translations as male prostitutes because in the pagan worship, like there was ritualistic sexual acts that were done as part of the worship. And it was also something that had been adopted by Israel, right? So there were these people who were actually part of this religious worship. And he brought all of the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So again, the idea of the child sacrifices that were being done, um, he went and uh, he, he defiled this temple or where they were, they, were, um, they were offering these child sacrifices so they would no longer do so. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Um, they had done excavations in Jerusalem, and it revealed there um, a sanctuary that had been dedicated to worship the sun. Um, and it, da it dates back to the time of Jehoshaphat, which is one of the kings, um, and it had small horses, and on the foreheads of the, ho or the horses was drawn the image of the sun. Um, and then uh, Greeks, Romans, and others, they also likened the sun to like a charioteer riding a chariot running from east to west. Um, so the chariot, the symbol of the chariot, was used to kind of represent the sun. Kind of like the sun moving from the east to the west was like a chariot that was running through the sky. And they have found these like archaeological discoveries of temples that had been dedicated to the sun in Jerusalem, right, which dates back to um, times of the kings. So you see here um, some of the things that they're saying that they had destroyed um, was actually something that was discovered. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth and the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites. These are all the gods of the different nations. And for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Okay, so he, all of these different high places that were made for worshiping these pagan gods, he, he, de he defiled them so they would not be used anymore and destroyed them. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down. So if you remember, the, the very first king of the northern kingdom of Israel okay, was Jeroboam. And they had made there uh, altars of worship, 
golden calves to worship. Okay, one of them was at Bethel. So even he's going to remember Josiah is the king in the southern kingdom, J Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, they had already been taken captive by the Assyrians before this. So this Bethel was at in, in the northern kingdom. So so he actually went to the northern kingdom and destroyed the things that um, that that Jeroboam, which was the first king of Israel, had made. Okay, Both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Now, this is interesting. What is it saying here? It says, um, he sent and took the bones out of the tombs, burned them on the altar, and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. So who is this man of God he's talking about? This is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was made 300 years before. Okay, and we actually read it in First Kings. Okay, where there was a man of God. It's, he's not given a name. We don't know his name. It just says he was a man of God. And he went to rebuke Jeroboam for burning incense. Okay, and it says this in 1 Kings 13, verse 2. It says, then he cried out against the altar. So the man of God, w when he, he, he's rebuking Jeroboam, he speaks to the altar that Jeroboam is burning incense on. And he, it says, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, so it actually mentioned the name of the king, Josiah, shall be born to the house of David, and, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Okay? So here when he's saying he took the bones out of the tombs, burned them on the altar, this is the same altar that this man of God had made a prophecy about 300 years before, and it's actually mentioned here that this man of God proclaimed this prophecy, which again is mentioned in 1 Kings 13.2, and this was hundreds of years before, 300 years before. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. So he saw the tomb of that man, the tomb of that prophet, right? And, there, and when he asked them, whose tomb is this? They said, this is the tomb of the man who prophesied that you are going to burn the bones on the altar to defile that altar, which you just did. And he said, let him alone, let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Right, so he, he left his grave alone. Um, he didn't do anything to it. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. By burning the men's bones, he is again defiling the altar. He's saying, this altar can never be used. It's been defiled, can never be used again. All these pagan altars. And again, he is where? He is in Samaria, okay? All the shrines of the highlight that were in the cities of Samaria. So Samaria, again, is not part of the Judah, okay? Now, um, what he is doing is he is trying to restore all of Israel. Remember, Israel used to be a united kingdom, right? It used to be one nation. And only after uh, the son of Solomon, whose name was Rehoboam, was the kingdom split into two, okay? And, and now he's saying that the northern kingdom is destroyed um, and it is populated by uh, pagans, populated by Assyrians, populated by people from other nations that have come to dwell there after the Israelites had gone. Um, but he is going there, and he is destroying even the high places and those places of worship that are there in Israel, in the northern kingdom. Then the kingdom, sorry. Did we read all of this? Good. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them and returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written, in this book of the covenant 
Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who were judged who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the king of Israel and the kings of Judah. So you see the Passover, which was like the most important feast, right? What is the Passover commemorating? It is commemorating the the when 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 God sent uh, the angel to kill all the firstborn of Egypt and spared the Israelites to allow them to escape from Egypt as slaves to escape and to eventually um, establish, to go to the promised land and establish the nation of Israel, right? So this was like the, the, a very important, important feast that was like uh, commemorating the establishment of, of Israel as a people that came out of slavery. And so he's saying from the time of the judges, the judges were like the leaders of the people um, prior to uh, King David, um, like uh, Samson and Japheth and Samuel and all of these. This was the time, the time period of the judges that we read about in the book of Judges. So he's saying ever since this time, the feast of the Passover had never been held. Supposed to be done yearly, okay? Had never been held. So it shows you how the people neglected the word of God, neglected the, the things that God had called them to commemorate, to remember, to, to, to feast. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. So now having read the word of God, Josiah actually, um, he, 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 uh, he commanded that the people celebrate the Passover feast for the first time. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there were no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. So he's saying how righteous that this king was in all that he did. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath which, with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. So despite all that Josiah had done, all the evil that Manasseh had done before him was still enough for God to carry out his plan for the captivity of Judah. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off the city Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and king Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo, when he confronted him. So Josiah was killed uh, by Pharaoh in war. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. So Jehoahaz is now the next king, the son of Josiah. Uh, he is now king. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So um, Jehoahaz is an evil king. The son of Josiah is an evil king. But he is removed by Pharaoh after only three months. And he was taken to Egypt and imprisoned in Egypt after only three months of being king. And uh, Pharaoh is imposing a tribute, okay, on Israel. He wants Israel to send the taxation money to him, okay? Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So he took the son of, of, of Jehoahaz, whom he named Jehoiakim, and he was set up as a vassal king, like a puppet king. He wasn't really the king of Israel at this point. He was essentially placed there by Egypt so that he could facilitate the sending of the money to Egypt and also to maintain order and to quell any rebellion there in Israel. 
says, So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Nico. Okay? Um, after four years of this, okay, Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, defeated Egypt, and Jehoiakim's allegiance changed from Egypt to Babylon. Okay, because now Babylon was the one in charge. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So we are on the, the last days now of the kings of Judah. And the book of Second Kings, there's only two chapters left. Um, the book of Second Kings ends with... Uh, the uh, with with the, you know before the before the captivity, right? So once the captivity happens, um, you know of course now there's no Israel at all. There's no Israel. There's no Judah, um, and all the people that remain, we read about them um, as the stories in the other books, like we read about Esther, um, who lived in the Northern Kingdom. We read about uh, Tobit. We read about Daniel. You know, we read about these other individuals who were among those taken, whether from the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, um, and their stories of how they lived after the captivity happened. But again, um, by the end of the life of Daniel, um, after 70 years of exile, the people begin to return to Judah. And we read about the return of those people um, and the reestablishment of the of the wall of Israel of of Jerusalem, the reestablishment of the temple, and all these things again. So there is hope. There is hope that things are going to be restored. And God saw that this severe act, this severe consequence of captivity, was what was necessary to reset everything, to so that when the people return, they appreciate um, what is it that they had left behind, and 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 that and that they would change. They wouldn't be the same again. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any final questions before we conclude? Okay, can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O Lord, for your mercy. We ask, O God, that you grant us patience as we try to live according to your commandments and to have mercy on us when we fall and fall short of everything you have called us to do. Please have mercy on us and grant us the forgiveness of our sins and help us, O Lord, to see how much you bless us whenever we are seeking your righteousness and how much, O Lord, away from you we are in darkness and living in sadness and hopelessness. Please grant us your strength, O Lord, to fight against all the temptations of the enemy and lead us, O Lord, to your heavenly kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.